Uh, Jeannie and I, we, we left after church last Sunday and went to uh, Smoketown. I'm not sure exactly the town where Sight and Sound is at in Pennsylvania, but what is it? R-O-N-K-S, Ronks, Ronks, Pennsylvania. I just know we went to a place called Smoketown, and, and we went over into Lancaster, but we sight and sound to see David and Goliath. They made this one out of all the sight and sound presentations they've made. This one was made during the COVID shutdown, so they had a lot longer to to build the props and important. And I, I understand I, this first one I ever gone to, but I understand this one like outshined all the rest of them. I, I'm telling you, it was absolutely phenomenal. It's well worth the drive to go and see Sight and Sound in Pennsylvania. And I was equally impressed with the farms up there. I have never seen landscape like that in my life. It was unreal. One farm connects to the next, to the next, to the next, and there's not a weed on any of those farms, the Amish, and they do it by hand. There's no weeds. I'm like, how do they do that? Now, I mean, even by the roadside in the ditches, there's no weeds. I'm like, I don't even know how they do that. I, well, I say, I, I saw one farm, they grow a lot of Lespedes up there. Lespedes is a, it's a member of the lentil family. It's akin to the peas. It doesn't have peas on it, but it's, a, it's called the poor man's alfalfa. They use it it's high in protein to feed uh, horses. And one farmer had had some second growth wheat growing in his alfalfa field. And I, I bet he hated that. He, he probably thought all the other Amish are talking about me. <laughs> but it was absolute. Everywhere I looked, I told Nathan, my son, I said, it looks just like a park. Everywhere up here. I've never seen such beautiful countryside. And if you go to Sight and Sound, you got to go down to Brother Jim. I texted him, told him where he was at. He said, you got to go to Agape Restaurant. Agape. That's Agape means uh, Christ-like love, you know. And it's run by the Amish. And it was just, the food was just over-the-top good. And it's run by little Mennonite ladies. And they got their little buns on, just cute as they can be. And I'm sitting there eating baby back ribs, smoked right there that was absolutely perfect. Sweet potato fries poured over with fresh maple syrup. And I'm watching the carriages go by with the horses pulling them. And across the field, there's a bunch of Amish out there with three big Belgian horses pulling the wagon, picking up pumpkins. I'm like, this is absolutely awesome. I, I think I'll just move here and become Amish, you know. Got to shave off a mustache and just a beard. Well, praise the Lord. But it's well worth the drive, especially this time of the year. It's harvest season. They're cutting corn and doing all kinds of stuff up there. And the colors, uh, the trees and stuff, it was just, it was a great trip. We went Sunday, came back Wednesday. So anyway, but we are glad to be back. This is home. This place we belong. If you find, find your place with me this morning in the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. <clears throat> preach a message this morning entitled, Turning Over the Table of Demons. Turning Over the Table of Demons. How many of you like to go into the devil's house and turn it upside down? Amen. Well, we're going to. Praise God. Hallelujah. Therefore, verse 14, therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I'm reading from the New International Version. Flee from idolatry. Verse 15, I speak... To sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. 
is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ. Now, he's talking about the communion, all right? And it's not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifice participate in the altar? Now, he's talking about when they go to the altar into the temple, they offer the sacrifice and they partake of that altar, all right, in that sacrifice, in that ritual, in that practice. Verse 19, do I mean that the sacrifice offered to an idol is anything? Wait a minute, did I skip something? I think I did. I jumped ahead. Yeah, verse 17. Okay. Consider the people, verse 18, let's back up. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifice participate <clears throat> in the altar? Verse 19, do I mean that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifice of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot be a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. We are trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy, question mark. Are we stronger than he, question mark. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Every, uh, eat anything sold in the marketplace without raising question for conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If some unbelieving, uh, invite, unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever he puts before you without raising question of conscience. Verse 28. But if anyone says to you, this has been offered in a sacrifice. Then do not eat it, both for the sake of the man who told you and for your conscience' sake. The other man's conscience, I mean not yours. But why should my freedom be judged by others' conscience? If I take part in the meal with thanksgiving, why am I denounced because of something I thanked God for? Verse 31, so whether you eat or drink or whether you, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Let me read that again. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jew, Greek, or the church of God. Even as I tried to please everybody in every way, I for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that you would just open the eyes of our understanding. Lord, I pray that truth will, will prevail this morning, Lord, in my heart and the hearts of 
of each of us, Lord. Father, you said that we should know the truth, Lord, and it's the truth that gives us freedom, Lord, and the freedom that you're talking about here and the liberty that you're talking about here, Lord. But God, I pray that you just give us wisdom this morning, Lord. Don't just give us knowledge, Father. We can have knowledge. We can even have understanding, but Lord, it is useless without the wisdom of knowing how to use it. So God, I pray that you speak to us today. Holy Spirit, again, I ask you to come right now. I ask you to anoint me as I speak and anoint those who listen as they hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, both here and in Romans chapter 14, verse 15, in 1 Corinthians 8 and 10, we find what is, is contained in there is known as the stumbling block principles. It is talking about weaker brethren or new converts. There are certain things that they see you do, and they don't understand that that's that you have a liberty to do that because they don't see that as something that you should be doing because what it is actually talking about is in this particular setting is these people are coming out of a culture of pagan worship. I mean, they actually went to the temples where they had idols erected and they offered sacrifices to those idols. And when they would offer that sacrifice, they would then take a part of that sacrifice and eat it. And by doing that, and I've talked about this when we take communion, by doing that, they are identifying themselves with that God. And they are saying, we are becoming one with this God, whether it's Baal or Ashtaroth or, or Simbethi or Molech or all the many different pagan gods that they had. So we're, we're becoming one. And so it was a table, Paul describes it as a table being set before demons, and it's not the idol because he said that idol's nothing. But it's a table set before demons. So if we partake of that meat, and if you, back then you'd go to the marketplace and you would buy meat and it would, it would be cooked sometimes. And they would say this meat was offered in a sacrifice. And he said, don't eat that. All right. <clears throat> and so... What he's saying is we have to be careful in how we use our liberty because it causes weaker brethren to stumble, these former pagans. And in some cases, the Jewish people themselves who came out of Judaism and they had certain dietary laws and certain things they could eat and could not eat. You know, for example, they couldn't eat pork under the dietary laws of the Jewish people. As a Christian, if I were a Jew and I became a Christian, praise the Lord and pass the pork chops. All right. I've got liberty in Christ. But if this person is sitting there and they still, they're not there yet, and they see me eat that, they think that that's defiling my body, and they are offended by that, and it causes them to stumble. Because for them to eat it, their conscience says it's wrong to eat that. All right? And to them, it is wrong because they're conscious. See, there are things in our life that there's no black and white in the Word of God that thou shalt not this or that. But to me... I can't do that because to me, it's a violation of my conscience. My conscience says, don't do that. Now, you may have liberty to do that very thing, and it's fine because your conscience doesn't convict you about that. Mine does. And so if I partake of that, it's wrong for me. And if you know that, it's wrong for me to do that, and you do it in my presence, if I were a brand-new believer you would offend me and you would cause me to stumble. That's what he's talking about. So in that case, even though you have liberty to do it, and I don't, even though it's nothing wrong with it except in my conscience, then you should not do it 
because you know that I think it's wrong to do it. Does that make sense? And this is the instruction that he's given us. So it has a lot to do with causing a, a weaker brother to stumble. And so what they're saying is eating this is equivalent to becoming one with God, just like the, the Apostle Paul compares it to the, to the communion. Just like when we eat of the communion, we are identifying ourselves with the one to which that was sacrificed. You know, when we partake of the cup, we're becoming, we're saying we are identifying ourselves as being one with Christ Jesus. When we eat the bread, I'm identifying myself as being, because he said we all eat of the same loaf. We all drink of the same cup. Therefore, we are all part of the same body. We are all one through that ritual, through that uh, that symbolic meaning of what the, the communion stands for. And then he asked a question in verse 19 that we should consider. Look at it with me. Verse 19, he says, Do I mean that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything or that the idol itself is anything? All right, so they've, they've erected this idol. Is, can that idol do anything to you? No, it's, it's molded out of metal or it's made out of wood. It's just an object. It's nothing. Isaiah 44, he talks about that. said they go out into the woods, they cut down trees, they bring it into their home, they nail it to the floor, and they decorate it with silver and gold. But it is worth nothing. He says it's worth nothing. It has a mouth, but it can't speak. It has feet, but it can't walk. It has ears, but it can't hear. It's nothing. It says the same thing in, in, in Psalms 43. David talks about it. He said these are the, it's the workmanship of men's hands. And it's, it, they have mouths and can't speak, ears and can't hear, and, and, and uh, uh, they, neither is any breath in them. They have eyes and they can't see. And he says they're nothing. But he says in verse 20, verse 20, Verse 19, let's read it again. Do I mean there's a sacrifice offered to idols as anything or the idol as anything? No, verse 20 says. But the sacrifice of the pagans are offered to demons. All right? So the idol is nothing. But attached and associated to that idol is a demon spirit. And while the idol is nothing, the demons are real. Church, we need to understand that. When we were kids, we were taught about the booger man, and the booger man was just, it was a joke. He was in a red suit with a pitchfork and a pointy tail, you know, and it was a big joke, but it's no joke. The demonic realm is real. We as Pentecostals, we understand that. We know that. Amen? Come on. You should if you don't. If you don't, you, we need to learn that. It's real. And when they sacrificed to these idols, he said, you're actually sacrificing to a demon spirit, and that is very real. They're real. Jesus cast them out. Some of you in this church, you have been in the presence of a demonic power. We were talking about that too this week. Early on when we first planted the church, this guy came in. You remember that? And he, there was absolutely no question about the fact this guy had a demonic presence. And he got up. They can't sit under the word. Trust me right now, you don't have a demon. All right, and if you come to me and say, I think I've got a demon, that is a guaranteed indicator you don't have one. Because he hides in darkness. He's not going to say, hey, I'm here. I'm a demon inside of this guy. All right. And so there's no demons here because if you were, you'd be getting up and running out of here right now. You cannot sit under the word. 
I've known people over the years, and every time we started getting into the Word, they would get nervous to get up and leave. I'm not saying they're demon-possessed, but there was a demon oppression or something harassing them. And they needed deliverance. This guy got up and ran out of the church. And when he did, three people, Pastor Joel and, 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 and Tony and another guy, Johnny Ease, they followed him out. And at the time, Tony was a brand-new Christian. I mean, he had just started coming to church, and he's taking us for a test drive. He's not even sure if this whole Christian thing is real, you know. He's giving his life to Christ, and he wants, he's hungry for God, but he, he don't know. And they're following this guy, and Pastor Joel's trying to minister to him, and, and John is there, and Tony, he's just there for security. And this, this thing turned around and said, get away from me. And his voice changed like that, and Tony's like, holy mercy. He's like, he's like, you better thank God you're in church, because if you talk to me like that now in the world, back in the day. So anyway, what I'm getting at, we don't have to fear them, but understand that, it, 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 that it's real. Amen. So he, he, he just, I lost my place. Verse 20, he says, no, the sacrifice to pagans are, are offered to demons, not to God. And then he says, and I do not want you to be participants with demons. You can't drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot be a part of both the Lord's table and table of demons. So what is he saying? If I know that the food is a tribute to demons, then I shouldn't eat it. Not because the idol is anything or that I have to fear the demon. But I don't eat that because this person that's coming out of that background sees me do that. And he thinks, oh, it must be okay to do that. He is a mature brother in Christ and he's doing it. So if he's doing it, must be okay for me to do it too. Now, that could apply to a lot of things today. There are things that, that I could probably do, but I wouldn't do because if somebody saw me do that, and they had an issue with that in the past, it, my liberty would become their license. Amen. I might be able to do it in moderation. They can't. They'll do it in excess or whatever. So that could apply in many different areas. So he doesn't say that I would be honoring the demon by doing that because I'm free in Christ. I can eat that meat if I receive it as a gift from God, even if I know it's gone to an idol. If I receive it as a gift from God and I give thanks for it, it's just a piece of lamb. That's all it is. Where it's been, what it's done is irrelevant. It's just a piece of lamb. And I could eat it, but I would not do it because it could cause a weak brother to stumble. Now, that brings me to the question, should Christians participate in anything that is considered to be demonic today? For example, should Christians participate in the celebration of Halloween? All right? Should, that's a question that some people may ask you or you may even have pondered in your own mind. Should Christians participate in something that is demonic, that's evil, like Halloween? Would it be the same as partaking of the table of demons? Now, we're coming up on October the 31st in two weeks. It's just right around the corner. We're building up for what has become our biggest evangelistic outreach of our ministry. 
And it always happens on October the 31st, the night that, they, that Halloween is celebrated across the, 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 the nation and maybe around the world. I'm not really sure. And so you might say, well, what's, what's the big deal? What's wrong with Halloween? What has it got to do with the table of demons? All right, well, let's expound a little bit on the truth about what Halloween is and what is wrong with Halloween. There was a, name, a man by the name of Tom Sanquinet. He was claimed to be a former high priest in the Celtic tradition of Wicca. Anybody ever heard of Wicca? W-I-C-C-A. Wicca stands for Witches International Coven Council Association. The coven is what they consider their church. All right, and so it's a, it's a group of people who practice black arts and what they call white arts. Can I just clarify something? There is no white arts. It's all dark. It's all witchcraft. It's all dark arts. It's all black. It's all evil. And Thompson, that there, there are people that have come out that are favorable to Wicca and to witchcraft that said he's a fake and he's a phony. You can't listen to him. He's never been a high priest and all. They will admit, however, that he was involved in Wicca. So I'm like, I don't care if the guy was a high priest or not. He was involved in Wicca. I'm pretty sure he knows more about it than I do if he's been involved with it. And so he said, the modern holiday we call Halloween has its origin closest to November the 1st. It's the witch's new year. It was the time when the, quote, spirits or demons or devils were supposed to be at their peak power revisiting the earth. And he went on to say that Halloween is purely and absolutely evil. And there is nothing we ever have ever or will ever do to make it acceptable to the Lord Jesus. Now, some people don't know why it's evil. And as a child, I didn't. I grew up in a, in a pastor's home. My, my dad's a pastor from the earliest memory I have. And every Halloween, we would have a haunted house in the church. People dress up like Draculas and witches and devils and demons and everything else and go to church. My mom was the palm reader. And we didn't think anything of it. It was just fun and games. We had no idea the depth of this. So a lot of people, they're just in their ignorance. They do that. I'm not calling you ignorant. Ignorant just means you don't know something. And you can fix ignorance. You can't fix stupid, but you can fix ignorance. Amen. Come on. Ignorance just need to be educated. I'm still ignorant about a lot of things, but I'm educated about some things. Halloween happens to be one of them. And I remember when I first learned the truth about this, we took our, I became kind of a, a crusader to enlighten other people about this. And we was a member of a church. The first time my kids saw anything that was evil or demonic, they saw it at the church. We went to the church for Halloween. I didn't know, I kind of had a feeling what was coming. And the, the director of the children's department was standing at the door covered from head to toe in a black trash bag. And she wasn't moving. And we walked up and all of a sudden, just about the time they got to the door, she goes, and like to scare the liver out of my kids, you know. And so we went kind of on a crusade to educate them on the subject of Halloween. And it went over like a lead balloon. So we didn't know. 
but we celebrated. And why not? We were in the heart of the Great Smoky Mountains in North Carolina where I grew up. You say, well, is that, what has that got to do with anything? Well, a lot of Irish immigrants settled right there and in other places, many places around the world, but particularly right there. You say, well, what has the Irish got to do with it? Well, where did Halloween come from in the first place? History tells us that it was the religion of the Druids. The Druids is a religious order of priests among ancient Celts of Britain and Ireland and Gaul. Gaul, if you remember, when the Romans defeated the Gaul, the Gauls were the, that was France, Belgium, Luxembourg, most of Switzerland, part of northern Italy, and Germany west of the Rhine. So it was that region right there. And the Celts and the Druids, that was their form of worship and their, their religion, was the Celtic religion. And the Druids were the priests of that. And it was the Celts who chose October the 31st as their New Year's Eve, because November the 1st is, the, is their New Year. And so as a, as a part of their celebration, they celebrated everything that was evil and wicked and they celebrated the dead. They would gather together. They would build huge community bonfires, and they would offer sacrifices by making wicker baskets, and they would put crops in it. They would put animals in it. They would put their children in it, and sometimes themselves, and cast it into the fire and burn it as a living sacrifice to the pagan gods, to, de to demons, really. So they would attempt to tell each other's fortunes. And I say attempt because only God can tell the future. Demons, there's no such thing as a psychic or a palm reader. They are listening to familiar spirits. And they may tell you something about yourself that they could not possibly know because they're listening to a familiar spirit that does know you. The demons have been around a lot longer than we have. They've been here since the garden. They see what you do. They know what you do. They know what your weaknesses are. They know where you've given in to temptations and your strongholds and stuff. And they can communicate that to people that are in the occult. So if a psychic tells you something about yourself, it's like, that had to be spiritual. They couldn't have possibly known that. Well, it was spiritual. It was a demon telling them that. But they can tell you about yourself and about your past, but they cannot tell you about their future, your future. Only God knows that. Yes. So they attempt to tell fortunes in the future, but only God can do that. Yes. Now, <clears throat> this celebration was called Samhain. Samhain was the festival. They didn't call it Halloween. It was Samhain. It was the festival to honor Saman, the Lord of the dead. On the eve of Samhain, the Druids believed that Samhain would summons the souls of the wicked dead, not the good dead, I don't know what made them good, but the wicked dead, which had died the previous 12 months and had been forced to inhabit the bodies of animals as an act of punishment. They would allow them to visit their own homes and, and, and then they would commence to tormenting and harassing people. They believed that ghosts... Evil spirits, witches, and elves came out that night to harm people. There's a spiritual high point. They believed that cats were sacred, that they'd once been people and were changed as punishment for evil deeds. Let me help you with something else here. There is no such thing as shape-shifting. Amen, Joe. 
we had a guy, he was all tore up in our church. There was, this, there was this werewolf in the woods beside my house. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. There's no such thing as a werewolf. Yeah, yeah, shape-shifting. He starts it. He'd been watching too many Native American Indian movies that says you can turn into a deer and run away, you know. There's no such thing. There's no ever account in history where a man turned into an animal. That's never happened, and it's never going to happen. It's all, <laughs> I get a little worked up over this because it's like, I want to just shake, but I'm like, wake up. You can't fix stupid, but you can help people that are ignorant if they will listen. So cats don't turn into people, all right? Or people don't turn into cats, rather, and vice versa. They believed that the only protection from these spirits was to treat them. And if they accepted to treat these demon spirits, these evil spirits, then they would leave you alone. If not, they would trick you and cast evil spells on you and cause havoc. So the Celts would try to trick the spirits by changing their clothing. They would wear their clothes inside out to try to disguise themselves. And they would take turnips and other things and carve evil faces on it to try to scare the spirits away. It's where we get jack-o'-lanterns from. They're putting lights in it, and it also represents a damned soul. Because some of this, uh, it evolved into different meanings. But originally, they were just trying to scare away the evil spirits because they believed on this night, evil spirits are coming out to hurt me. And so I'm going to do whatever I got to do to appease the evil spirits. That still goes on in India today. They do all kinds of things to try to appease the spirits so that they won't hurt them. Right? And, if, and sometimes they, they, everybody over there is dark skin, dark hair. You send my wife over there for three weeks with green eyes and blonde hair, they think she's a demon. She walked through India, and some of the kids screamed and ran away. They, they didn't know about this blonde hair, this light hair, and these green eyes because they had seen pictures of evil spirits that looked like my wife. <laughs> she had one shaman, an evil uh, uh, high priest, uh, Come up to her and started, got right in her face, going, rah, 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 rah. she said, get back. And he backed up. Hey, come on, you got authority in Jesus' name. And then she just started praying in the spirit. She might have been praying in Hindi. I don't know. Whatever it was, he backed up, amen. She's got the boldness of lying. She scares me sometimes. <laughs> So they're trying to protect themselves by treating these spirits to keep them from hurting them. <clears throat> um, the celebration, it remained much the same after the Romans conquered the Celts in 43 A.D. That's important to note. Because remember, the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. So Romans overtook the Gauls in 43 A.D. So there's 11 years that the Gauls are going to begin to mingle among the Roman Empire and influence them with their Celtic beliefs. And so the Romans, they didn't, uh, they didn't, didn't uh, necessarily celebrate and, and, and uh, embrace the uh, Celtic beliefs at first, but eventually they did. And they added some of their pagan practices to the Celtic practices like the worship and, and, and uh, adoration of the gods of fruit and trees and entered the custom of bobbing for apples. 
It wasn't originally a Celtic practice, but it was added by the Romans. Now, I say it's significant to note that it was 43 A.D. when this happened because during this time, it's when the church was birthed. And the church is also mingling among the Roman Empire, and the Celts have now come in. And so there is this mixture taking place in the Roman Empire with what the Romans already had with all of their paganism and their uh, polytheistic meaning believing in many, many different gods. And now the Celts come in with their practice of paganism. And at the same time, the Apostle Paul is traveling throughout the, the Roman Empire on his missionary journeys, planting the church of Jesus Christ. And so all this is going on at this time. If, if you remember in Acts chapter 19, the, the Bible says that Paul, uh, Cornelius said, uh, um, Apollos having passed through the upper coast, uh, Paul came to Ephesus. And when he got there, he found disciples and he said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said, well, we haven't even heard that there be any Holy Ghost. He said, well, what then were you baptized in? They said, the baptism of John. He said, well, John baptized the baptism of repentance, saying, looking unto the one who's coming after him, that is Jesus Christ. And then he preached Jesus Christ to them, and, uh, and then he baptized them, and then he laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues, and there was about 12 of them. So now Paul's got 12 disciples. All right. And then he goes into the synagogue and stays there for three months, boldly speaking the things of God. But the Bible says that they hardened their hearts and did not believe him. And they spoke evil of what was called the way. The way was what they call, first called Christians. They didn't call, they were called Christians first in Antioch. But before then it was called the way. And so they spoke evil of the way, this Christian faith that Paul is preaching. So he left the synagogue departed from them and withdrew with his disciples. And then the Bible says that he reasoned daily in the school of Tyrannius and continued to do that for two years every day so that all who dwelled in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greek. So, so now God is being heard by everybody throughout the region. They're hearing about the Celts practice. They already know the Roman practice. Now they're hearing about this new belief. And then the Bible says that God did unusual miracles with Paul. All right. Now, God may not do that today because we're not in the same battlefield that he was in. We may be getting there, and it might just possibly be that God is going to revisit the church in that way. But it says that he did unusual miracles so that a handkerchiefs and aprons from Paul's body was taken to the sick and, and, and diseases would leave their body. And demon spirits would leave their body when they would just take a handkerchief that Paul had had and laid it on them and the demons would scream and flee. And then it said that there were exorcists there, the sons of one high priest or chief priest, they were called the sons of, uh, of Sceva. There were seven of them. And they saw that and so they went to a a demon-possessed man and said, we adjure you in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches, come out of him. And the demon inside of this man says, well, we know Paul and we know Jesus, but we don't know you. Yeah. And the one man jumped on the seven and said they left the house naked and wounded. Yeah. So this demon-possessed man, he beat up all seven of them and they ran out because they're trying to exercise the name of Jesus when they don't know him. Yeah. You don't, how many of you know Jesus? Come on. 
Now, there's people that are afraid of that. Listen, the Bible says, as many as believed on him, to them gave he power to be the sons of God, even those that believe on his name. If you believe on his name, you have authority over demons. You do not have to fear them. They have to bow their knee in the name of Jesus when it is used by you, a believer. And I don't care if you're just a babe in Christ. If you believe in Jesus Christ, he's given to you power to be a son of God. And every son of God has authority. He said, these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They cast out demons. They have to bow their knee. They have to submit. And so Paul is going throughout the region and miracles are are taking place. And then it said that many of those who had practiced magic, now this is what what I'm getting at. It said in, in, in Acts chapter 19, many of them who had practiced magic brought their books of the arts and burned them. And the value of it was 50,000 pieces of silver. It was highly likely that those were the Celtic people bringing their books and burning them. People who practiced Samhain, the worship of Samhain. Tom Sanquinette said Halloween is purely and absolutely evil. So how is it seen today in modern Christianity? How, do, how does modern Christianity observe Halloween today? Many people in modern society think that Halloween is innocent. It's just a time of game and fun. It's a time of harmless practice that doesn't have the same meaning as it did in the time of the Celts. Well, that may be true to those who practice it. But church, listen to me. That is not true to the demonic realm. Because Satan is not a gentleman. If you crack the door, he will kick it the rest of the way open. The Holy Spirit's a gentleman. The Holy Spirit has to be invited in. He doesn't force himself in. Satan is not a gentleman. Give him a crack in the door, and he will kick it open and enter in. And so while you may be thinking it's just fun and games, it is not fun and games to the demonic realm. It's serious business to the demonic realm. I, I... I won't mention this lady's name because she's probably going to hear this and she'll remember telling me. She was a prisoner in her home for 20 years. And it all began on Halloween. She was trick-or-treating and she, she saw bats, leather-winged bats, huge leather-winged bats flying at her. It was demonic. And she locked herself in her house for the next 20 years. Couldn't go out in public. I preached a sermon one Sunday on slaying your giants. And she went out and took a stone and slayed her giant. She came to me and says, I went to Walmart all by myself. I'm like, okay. No, you don't understand. I went to Walmart all by myself. What do they call that? Anybody know the name of that when you're, 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 huh? Agoraphobia, fear of the open market. And it all began on Halloween. So, so church, it's, it's not innocent games. Are you hearing me say amen? Yeah. 
Is it a harmless practice? And does it have the same meaning as it did during the time of the Celts? Well, the Catholic Church tried to Christianize Samhain. Since they couldn't get rid of it, they embraced it. And they gave it a new wrapper. They actually added to it. In 800 A.D., the Catholic Church established what they called All Saints Day on November the 1st. And by making All Saints Day, November the 1st, the day that they commemorated the death of all the saints, that made October the 31st All Hallows Mass is what they called it. They had a mass, and it was All Hallows Mass commemorating the death of all the saints as a kind of as an alternative to, to Samhain. And it later became called All Hallows Eve, and then it was finally shortened to just Halloween. It was a mixture of the two. All right. Now, the Word of God is clear about the participation of God's children in pagan religious practices and witchcraft. In Deuteronomy 18, verse 9, it says, When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abomination of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone that makes his son or his daughter to pass through the fire. That means sacrificing your children as a living sacrifice, burning them on the altar. They did that in Molech worship. And I won't get into the details. That's pretty gory. You should not use divination. Divination is a false prophecy attempting to tell the future by demonic power. I've already talked about that. There's no such thing. You should not be an observer of time. That's astrology. There's nothing wrong with studying the pattern of the stars, but you don't study them to tell your future. I don't read my zodiac to see what's going to happen to me today. I'm a Leo, all right, just for, so you know. I'm a Leo, the lion, whatever. I'm born under the sign of Leo in July. What does that mean to me? Absolutely nothing. I don't look to the stars for my future. I look to the one who created the stars to tell me my future. Amen. So you're not to follow astrology. You shouldn't be reading your horoscope. You're not to be an enchanter. That means to cast spells or charms or chants or chant music, magic words. You're not to be a witch. That means a part of Wicca. There's no such thing as white witches. You practice, that means, means you practice dark, dark arts by demonic power. You're not to be a charmer. A charmer is to form charms or amulets to try to be warned against evil spirits. They would also, charmers also try to make them to try to control people. A love passion. I want this guy to love me. Make me an amulet or a charm to make him fall in love with me. And some of that stuff carries some power because it's demonic. And demonic, if this guy is a lustful person and they, this person is summoning demons to try to allure this man, it might just work. Because that demon's in communication with this demon's, and they work it all out, and next thing you know, and they say, wow, it works. Well, it does. And sin is fun for a season, but there is a payday someday, and it's not going to work out well for those who do these things. You're not to be a consulter of familiar spirits. That one, that's one who contacts demons. You're not to be a wizard, one that summons the uh, demons by an oath or incantation or magic spells. You're not to be a necromancer, he said. That's one who seeks to find information by consulting 
the dead. You know, if you go to your grave or if a family member or something, you talk to them, you know, that may be comforting to you, but don't do it in such a way that you actually think that you're communicating with them. Because you're not supposed to try to communicate with the dead in such a way that they're communicating back to you. Now, if, if, my, if I outlive my wife, I'm going to go and sit and I'm going to say, babe, and I'm going to talk to her, you know. She can't hear me. And if she answers me, I'm running. <laughs> I won't say that. Verse 12. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. For these nations which thou shalt possess hardened unto, uh, they, they hearkened unto the observers of time and unto diviners. But as for thee, the Lord thy God hath not suffered thee to do so. So what I'm saying is no matter how innocent this may seem, Halloween, talking about Samhain, Halloween, we are to imitate Jesus Christ. We shouldn't try to, I mean, going to church dressed up as a demon. We should never try to imitate a demon or a devil or a witch or something like that. We are to imitate Jesus Christ. You know, Jeannie and I tried to do some alternative things for Halloween because we were put in charge over the children's department. We were children's church pastors for seven years. So we had, a, we had a, a dress up like a Bible character, you know. And even that, I felt like we're, we're kind of pushing the envelope here a little bit, you know. And so um, we had an old McDonald's night. We tried many different things. But to be honest, I was reluctant to have anything whatsoever to do with any celebration, recognition of anything on October the 31st. I really wrestled with that. Because if you're celebrating Halloween, uh, that's definitely wrong. So if we know that Halloween, Samhain, it's the same thing, is evil, why do we do No Fright Fun Night every October the 31st? Why do we do that? Are we partaking of the table of demons? Huh? Are we just disguising it as something holy? Are we trying to do the same thing that the Catholic Church did with All Hallows' Eve, mingling Samhain with Christianity? Now, someone suggests that, or if you even question that, don't argue with them, don't argue with yourself, but you need to be able to give them an answer. The short answer is we are not celebrating a pagan practice of Samhain. And we are not mingling it with Christianity. We're replacing it. There's a difference. When you remove something and you put something else in its place, you're not mingling anything with it. And you're definitely not recognizing it. In fact, you're casting it out completely. And you're replacing it with something else. Now, if we were to hold to any of the traditions associated with pagan worship, then I would say yes. We are attempting to partake of the table of demons. The Catholic Church didn't replace it. They embraced it, and they merged the two. But I believe that 
when we discover the truth about anything, whether it be Sam Heen, and there are some other religions that I myself have discovered the origin of it, that the church recognizes it, we should, we should renounce that. I can't be a part of it anymore. I won't be a part of it anymore. And, and I could really get in trouble here if, to kind of go after some other things that I won't go after that has to do with worshiping of the fertility God with colored eggs. All right, leave that alone. Or the cutting down of a tree and decorating it in honor of Osiris, the pagan god of Egypt. Better leave that one alone too. I don't do those things. That's a matter of conscience for me. If you do them, God bless you. I'm not going to tell you not to do them. I can't. I won't. That's just me. I think we should renounce those things and put them away from us. I think that we should care more about what God thinks than what people think. And if Jesus is going to be first, then I want to put him first. So, Pastor, if we know that Samhain Halloween is evil, why do we do No Fright Fun Night? Ephesians chapter 5 verse 11 says this. We are to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it's a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved, everybody say reproved. All things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, and whatever doth make manifest is light. So let me tell you why we do this. Let me give you a little history leading up to the No Fright Fun Night. <clears throat> We established this church in 1997. We couldn't find a building to go into, so we just started in my backyard. I took plywood, built a pulpit, and I set it up, and I invited people to come. I said, Jesus met out in the open. There's nothing wrong with us doing that, too. We moved from there into my mother-in-law's living room. We filled that up. Then we moved into Pastor Joel's two-bay garage, and we filled that up. In the meantime, I was trying to work a deal on this building, and we worked on that, and we moved here in 1998. In less than a year, we moved into this building. It took us about a year to get established, and in 1999, we did our first evangelistic outreach called Quake 99. We went to the parking lot beside the McDonald's up there in Louisa. We brought in a team, a, a drama team from another church. We brought in a live band. We had free food and hot dogs and stuff, because you feed them, and they will come. All right, we're fishing. I, I, I don't fish with something that's not effective, all right? We're using bait, and I'm fishing. I'm going to lure them in, and then we're going to put them in the net. Amen? Come on. So we had Quake 99. I'm convinced that's why we had one of the largest earthquakes on the East Coast. We shook Louisa. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> that's the residual effects of what we did back in 1999. Well, whether that's true or not, I don't know. I can believe it. Just leave it alone. <laughs> it didn't have the effect that we wanted. It really didn't. So we, we tried VBS for a while. We would have vacation Bible school here. Mostly it was our own kids coming and maybe a few others that, from other churches. All right. So that didn't seem to work. So then we took it to the street. I got an old boat. We put in a PA system. I dressed up in a, in a hat. I became Captain Catfish, and we did a theme called Hooked on Jesus. And we went to an apartment complex, got all the kids in the apartment complex to come out. And we're doing VBS right there in the apartment complex. It was okay, but it still didn't have the effect that we wanted. So 
I had a vision to take a tent, set it up right there where the CVS drugstore is at in front of the food line there. And, and sometimes you need to keep things to yourself until you've done them. I, I mentioned it to someone who was also in a ministry, and the next thing I know, they had a tent set up there. And, and I'm like, well, God bless you, but... And, and I went to it. It wasn't a bad thing, but I went there, and I'm watching the kids outside with a sign said tent meeting and they've got a two liter bottle playing volleyball over the sign while the revival's going on inside. And I go inside and all I see is church people in there. And it, it grieved me. I'm like, God, this is not what I had vision for. That's what I was after out there because we were going to do this different. We were going to set up the tent, hot dogs, games all day long, fun and stuff and hand out tracks and invite them back tonight for the for the tent meeting. I was going to bring in some radical people. I was going to bring in church on the street from down in, in Richmond. I was going to bring, oh, I need to correct something too. I told you last week that Gerald Durstein is coming. If Gerald Durstein comes, he's got to raise from the dead to do that. I meant Gerald Mahan, just so I clarify that. Gerald Fire shut up in his bones Mahan. I was going to have him come. And anyway, it, it didn't work out as we had envisioned. So then we had a family fun day right here on our property about four or five times. All right, so now years have passed. We've tried everything, and it just doesn't seem to have the punch. And then I met Jim, we Jim Wefflin, and he said, we did a thing called No Fright Fun Night at our church, and about 500 people came up. And I'm like, you have got my attention. What did you do, and how did you do it? And so when he told me they did it on Halloween, I, I struggled with that. I'm like, Halloween? And I finally I said, you know, God help me to see this. And God did help me to see that the way that you reprove the unfruitful works of darkness, you don't avoid it. You don't run from it. You don't hide from it and you don't fear it. You dispel the darkness with the light. Look at it again. Ephesians 5, 11. Are you still with me? Say amen. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful work of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it's a shame even to speak of those things which are done to them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest. The way you reprove it is you make it manifest by the light. And everything that makes manifest, uh, 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 everything that does make manifest is light. So when he told me that, I'm like, you know what, we're, I'm just going to do this. We're not going to make any, I don't want anybody to come in here dressed up in witches or, or costumes that's of anything. And I, I emphasize that. Guys, don't come dressed up like some, something that glorifies darkness. We're here to give them Jesus. It's got nothing to do with Halloween. It's got nothing to do with Samhain. I am fishing. And if that's what gets them to come, brother, that's a bait we're going to use. And we went beside Food Line right up here in Louisa. We're thinking maybe four or 500 people is going to come. And they were pulling up to go to the grocery store, and they saw, they heard this band over here, boom, 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 and, and slides and smelled the hot dogs cooking. They're just wondering over what's going on. Like, come on in, come on in. And next thing you know, we had about 1,500 people. 1,500. Are you hearing me, church? 1,500, many unchurched people hearing Jesus for three hours. You tell me what's wrong with that. And I'm like, 
praise God, this, this is a good thing. So we did it for years right there at Food Line. Then we moved to the park, the, the um, fairground right there by the ball field. And then when COVID shut us down, the next year we were going to go back there. But we, it was iffy whether or not COVID was going to be shut, shutting everything down again. So we decided we'll just move it right here. We didn't know how that would work. I've been praying for years to have a, a, an impact on Goochland. Well, we're only about three miles from the county line. And so we started reaching out to Goochland, and they came over. We had 1,300 people last year on this property coming to the No Fright Fun Night. That's how we got here, 1,300 people. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, we have to do this in balance. If you turn on the light, uh, if you turn on the light, if we're in here and it's dark and there is a rat in here and you know he's in here, I've told you there's a rat in here, you can hear me, he's running around scampering, he's in here. If I turn the light on, I have just reproved that rat. I've reproved him. I've removed that which he uses to hide himself. Light removes the darkness. And I have removed what he uses to hide himself. I have given you truth so that you can see there is a rat in here and there he is. Because you see him for what he is. I have reproved that rat. Are you hearing me, church? Every October the 31st, we turn on the light and reprove the rat. That's what we're doing. You have to find a healthy balance in there because there's a time for everything. There's a time to reprove darkness, and there's a time to direct people to light. Because I can show you the rat all day long. I can show you the devil all day long. And you can see him. You can know that he's real. But if I don't show you Jesus, you will die in your sin. So not enough just to reprove and expose him. I want to give you the, the, the good option yeah. of Jesus Christ. Yeah. All right? Because if we spend too much time focusing on the rat, then we glorify the rat. And we give him too much credit. Gene yeah. and I saw that in the 1970s with the teaching of demonology in the church. There was so much teaching about Satan and casting out demons and demons in this. We went to see a friend of ours, and she, she said her husband woke up in the night and said, pray for me, pray for me. She said, why? She said, I, he said, I got a demon. Cast it out of me. I mean, they were casting demons out of hubcaps and couldn't get the gas cap off of the car. Like, I, I bind you in Jesus' name. Come out of there. And there was a demon holding the It was absolutely ridiculous. This one lady said she went to a meeting and they handed her a, a, a Kentucky Fried Chicken bucket when she went through the door, empty. She's like, they must be promoting Kentucky Fried Chicken or something. What is this for? And so they went in and sat down and the, and the leader said, everybody say, hate. Everybody said, hate. Said, now spit in the bucket. Now say, jealousy. Jealousy. Now spit in the bucket. They're casting out demons. Absolutely ridiculous. Well, what were they doing? They were focusing so much on demons that other Christians were terrified that the demons have got all this power. Church, they don't have any power. 
All power, all power, all power has been given unto Jesus Christ. And he said, go ye into the world, and I will go with you everywhere you go. When you're in the presence of demons, all power in heaven and earth is standing there with you to give you authority over that demon spirit. Even a babe in Christ has that. We're not going to glorify the rat. I am going to reveal him and show you what a squirmy, nothing little mouse he really is. God showed me this a long time ago that Satan wants you to think he's like, he's like the Wizard of Oz. And I saw in my mind the drive-in theater where you're looking at that big screen and everything that's going on up there, you're like, wow, that is so big. But when you go all the way back, it's a little square frame on a roll of film. And that's all it is. It's about that big. And that's what Satan is. He wants to think he's all this. No, he's this. Because the Bible says that when he, they're going to look upon and say, is this the one who, who, who ruled the nations? That? Yeah. Are you hearing me, church? So we're not going to try to focus on, on the rat. We're going to focus on the light. Psalms 34, 1, 3 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I'd like to know where does it say that Satan owns October the 31st or any other day for that matter? Oh, we got to avoid that day. That is the day of the rat. Because there's some Christians, you shouldn't have anything to do with Halloween. You got to avoid that day. That's the day of the rat. Yeah, okay. Doing that is, in a sense, honoring the rat. You're setting the table for him. Well, you can't do anything that day. It belongs to the rat. It's his day of darkness. You can't turn the light on. That day belongs to the rat. And there are people that came out of Wicca that says, the church, even this guy I quoted, said the church shouldn't do anything on that day. I'm like, no. I disagree with that, friend. Uh, on October the 31st and every other day, we will declare this is the day that the Lord has made. Yeah. And I will rejoice and be glad in it. There's no demon that is going to steal any day that the Lord has made. No fright, fun night is done to the glory of Jesus Christ alone. He said, whatever you do, whatever you do, you have liberty to do it. Whatever you do, you do for the glory of God. Before we ever set foot on the property, we declare the glory of the Lord over the whole event. We pray, say, tonight, this is the sanctuary of God. Tonight, we would do this at the fairground. We did it on the, right there where those apartments live. Those people don't know, but they're standing on holy ground. We declared it to be so. This is holy ground. Tonight, this is God's sanctuary. And the presence of God will rule and reign here tonight. We renounce all the power of the enemy. 
And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we cancel and make void every assignment of the enemy. And when the light comes on, darkness flees. We're not celebrating pagan practices of Samhain. We're not mingling it with Christianity. We're replacing it. We remove it and put something else in its place. That's what we're doing. So if anybody asks you or they insinuate, well, you're just joining in something evil. They respectfully say, I love you, but you don't know what you're talking about. That's not what we're doing. Amen. And neither are we going to go out and criticize people who do participate in that. They bring their little kids all dressed up like all kind of evil stuff. That's, that's all right. Come on. Come on in. The master calleth, come and dine. We're setting a table here. It's not a table for demons. This is the table of the Lord we've got set up here. And we want you to come and dine. It's all free. Freely we receive, freely we give. You know, we want to give you Jesus. I want you to, for maybe the only time in your life, to see people that are the real deal. I, I had a person, they asked to remain anonymous, uh, said that they were in a time of devotion. They were reading their Bible early one morning, and they're looking out the window across the field. And said all of a sudden in their mind, they were transfigured into that field. They're walking in the field, and all around them are shiny stones, glittering, shiny stones. And they walked to this one big piece of pure gold in the midst of that field full of shiny stones. And this person said, I reached down and picked it up, and the Spirit of the Lord said, this is Central Virginia Assembly of God. Pure gold in the midst of a field of fool's gold because you carry the truth. And then there's something else they shared. that It's not time to share that part of the revelation with you at this time. But, you know, those things I put on the shelf and I wait for confirmation. All right? Especially part two of that. So, listen, we carry truth. We, do. we want people to see authenticity. Because we were talking in this session this week about the move of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has moved in our church in many different ways. You know, sometimes I think when we first started, it was more like children with a toy. We didn't know what to do with it. A lot of times children, they don't, they don't know what to do with new toys, you know. And they play with them and they do things that's probably childish, you know. And then as you mature, you do things different, you know. In different stages of spiritual manifestation, you see. And some people who saw that and wonder, what happened to that? Why not that? Why now is it different? Listen, we don't put the Holy Spirit in a box and say, this is the litmus test of what you must do, God. What you did at Brownsville, what you did at Toronto, what you did at Azusa Street, what you did here, that's what you have to do here, or you're not moving here. You just put the Holy Spirit in a box. We want authenticity. I don't care what it looks like. It can look like we're being still and know that you are God. Like, where's the Holy Spirit manifesting? He is manifesting in the stillness. Or it can be out there where people are just dancing all over the place and they're waving banners and they're doing all kind of stuff and hitting people in the face with their banners and stuff. Yeah, we saw some of that too. If it's the Holy Spirit... If it's emotion, 
and feeling. I like that song. said, I'm not chasing a feeling anymore. I want you, God. I want it to be real, church. And I believe that we carry that truth. We carry that authenticity. And I want people to come here and see what real Christianity looks like. We're just going to love on them. It's not a membership drive. I'm not trying to get people to CVAG. I'm trying to get them to Jesus. I don't care if they don't even remember our name. I don't care if they don't even know my name. But when they leave, I want them to know the name of Jesus and that they've been in his presence. Amen. All right, let me close with this. I'm getting a little carried away. Are you still with me? We're to be fishers of men. All right. And fishers of men, you, some of you remember the story of fishermen's club. They got a bunch of guys got together, so we're going to make a fishermen's club. And that's a great idea. So they read every book you could read on fishing. They knew how to saltwater fish, how to freshwater fish, how to fish in lakes, rivers, ponds, trout streams. They knew everything about fishing. And they said, well, now we need a boat. So they went and got a boat. You could go out into the blue water and the deep sea. They got boats for river runs and for white water, and they got boats for lakes and ponds. And they had, they had every kind of boat you could fish in. So now we need to get a club. So they got them a clubhouse. And they hung nets on the wall. They got mounted fish and hung them up there, and they did all this stuff. They were the fishermen's club. There was only one problem. They never went fishing. The church is guilty of that. We study everything about winning the loss, but what do we do to win the loss, to go fishing? I, I like what Jan Aldridge says. So all we do is swap fish sticks around. People leave that church, they get mad at the pastor, get mad at somebody, and they come over to this church. And people get mad here and they go to that church. So the fish sticks just go from one church to the other church. And say, we need to catch some fresh fish. Amen. The disciples did this. Paul went to pagan places in the midst of pagan people. He went to Philippi. How many of you remember when he was beaten in Philippi? He cast the demon out of the woman that was demon-possessed that brought great wealth to her owner and he brought her before the council and they beat him and he was put into prison and at midnight God shook the prison and set him free. Remember that? Well, let's back up history. It was at Philippi, 25 miles from Galilee. In the Old Testament, Jeroboam had set up an island Dan, to Dan in the city of Dan to Baal. And so Baal worship was predominant in that area. The Greeks came along and they 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 set up a pagan worship of Pan, and they named the Philipp, uh, Caesarea Philippi was then named Paneus by the Greeks. Then Herod Philip came, rebuilt the city, and named it after himself, Caesarea Philippi. Now, in this city, they had cliffs, and on those cliffs, they had built uh, uh, shrines and temples to their pagan gods. And also at the foot of that cliff, there was a cave opening and water ran out of it and they believed that it was the gateway to the underworld and that the goddess Pan, that's where she spent the winter, was in that cave. It was come to be known as the gates of Hades, the gates of hell. And it was there where Jesus Christ took his disciples and said, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, you're Elijah. They say, you're Jeremiah or Isaiah or one of the other prophets. He said, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
Now, theologians have debated for years what the gates, what the stone was upon this rock. He said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven, upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell, talking about literally that cave, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It was right there in Caesarea Philippi where he said that. And he's making reference to this pagan place. Listen, gates don't attack people. Gates are defensive. They're not offensive. So what he is saying is, I'm going to build my church in the very place where people have done all kinds of terrible things in worship to their fertility God. You can imagine, if you're worshiping a fertility God, what they did. And it's in that place that I'm going to build my church. I'm not going to say, well, we can't build it over there. That belongs to the rat. That's the gates for the rat. They, we, gotta be, we can't have anything to do with that. We got to build our church over here. We got to back off and give the respect to the rat. In fact, it was in Caesarea Philippi where Jesus said, if you were ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of you before my Father which is in heaven. He went among the pagans and their pagan practice to take the gospel to the people. Same thing happened in Athens. Paul went there and he said his spirit was stirred in him when he saw that the city was wholly given to idols. And on Mars Hill, he said, I perceive that you are a superstitious people. You've got idols for every god. You've even got one for the unknown god. So I have come here in the midst of a place that is wholly and totally and completely given to idols to tell you who that God is. The unknown God is the God, the creator of the universe. He's the almighty God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. And he preached on Mars Hill, a pagan place among pagan people. He did the same thing in Corinth. Corinth was an immoral place. You could go to church, worship God, and get a prostitute at the same time. And he went there and straightened them out. He went to Ephesus. He said, I fought the beast at Ephesus. It was Ephesus where, he, where they, they shouted, Great is Diana, the gods of the Ephesians, so loud that he couldn't even preach there. It was another center of paganism. He went to Rome, which was the capital of the carnal world. What I'm getting at, church, is he didn't yield to Satan as if he owned any of those places. Or his practices were to go unchallenged. What we're doing is potentially, on that night, potentially, there will be more unchurched people that will hear Jesus in that three-hour window than every revival effort in every church in this community in history. Now, you think about that. I don't know of the 1,400 people how many people were unchurched. We're not here to judge people. If I were, I would say probably a f more than a few. And I know the efforts that church, I've been in church my whole life. I know the efforts that we have to have a revival to try to get the lost to come in. And it just, it doesn't always work. 
But potentially there's going to be more people in two weeks right out here. That the only time they hear Jesus is when they hear his name in a curse word. And they are going to be presented with Jesus Christ. More people than every church in our community in all their revival efforts in their history. And for three hours, we're going to give them Jesus. Now, if there is something wrong with that, I just don't see it. Are we attempting to partake of the tables of demons? Absolutely not. But what I can tell you, church, is we are boldly turning their tables over. Amen. Come on, church. We're overturning the table of the demons. So while to the world it may be Samhain or Halloween, a day for the rat, to us it is a day to manifest the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall to lift high his royal diadem and crown him Lord of all, including October the 31st. Amen. Come on, church. No day is off limits to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We preach Jesus 365 days of the year, not 364. Amen. Come on, church. Are you with me? Say amen. amen. Now, maybe you all understood that, but I, I've been getting some little cheap shots on Facebook about, well, I'm not participating with anything evil. I'm like, well, neither are we. Neither are we. And if you're insinuating that we are, I love you, but you don't know what you're talking about. Amen? Come on. And so I'm giving you some ammunition to defend the gospel of Jesus Christ and the efforts that we're doing lovingly and maybe help them see that what we're doing, no, we're not mingling or participating or partaking of the demon's table. We're flipping it over and turning on the light. And we're declaring that the gates of hell will not prevail because we're not standing back waiting on the gates open. Jesus wanted us to storm the gate. Amen? So why don't you stand with me? I almost had a, when I asked you to stand with me, I almost, you know what I saw in my mind? Ready down, said. Hut, hut. That's what I saw in my mind. I did. I don't like football anymore, but that was a pretty good analogy. I hadn't watched football since Kaepernick took a knee, but that's just me. They owe an apology to our soldiers in my book, but I'm like that, okay. Yeah. We're not going to reserve a special day as off limits as though it belongs to the devil. Nor will we participate in anything that is pagan practice of that day lest we find ourselves guilty of partaking of demons table and causing a brother to stumble. We will, however, turn over their tables. Run him out of town. I like that. I, I see Christians all the time. I said, if you got the devil on the run, <laughs> they don't know what to make of that. If you got the devil on the run, yeah. Well, if he, if he slows down, kick him. run him that way. Don't run him over here. We've we got enough demons to deal with ourselves. <laughs> Don't run him toward Central Virginia. I like run him into the sea. 
That's what Jesus did. Remember the bad man in Gadara? He said, why have you come before our time to drive us into the dry places of the earth? He said, who are you? He said, we are legion for we are many. I think they're trying to frighten him, intimidate him. We're legion because we're many. So, but don't cast us into dry places. Cast us into those swine. That's how we got devil ham. Cast them into the pigs and ran off to sea. That's how you got salt ham. <laughs> amen. But he cast them into the sea. Amen. Praise God. Well, enough clowning around. But church, I hope you're praying and, and preparing for our evangelistic effort. It's a, one of the biggest ones we have of the year. And I don't want it to be the only one we have. I'm bringing Gerald Mahan in in the spring. I want you to have, start thinking about someone that you can bring to friend day because we want to we want to get the message out to people and we got to find a way that the entertainment is tough nowadays people can go anywhere and do everything to be entertained you don't even have to leave home you just it's, it's everywhere so fishing it's hard fishing nowadays but i think we have found a lure that works Amen. And I just pray that we hook some big ones. Reel them in, get them in the boat. I don't want them to get them halfway there and to get off the hook. I want to get them in the boat and watch Jesus work in their life. Father, we come before your throne in Jesus' name. Lord, I've tried to make this as lighthearted as I could, but God, it is a very, very serious, serious subject, as you know. And, and I hope that we have effectively uh, conveyed that message, Lord. And, and God, I believe, Lord, that you have brought us into the community for such a time as this. Lord, if that vision was true about the field of fools go, I don't mean to insinuate that we're the only ones that has the truth. I believe that there are many others that do have the truth, and I'm not here to judge who does and who doesn't. But God, if that is true, we want to be those who carry truth, Lord. We want to be real. We want to be authentic, God. And Father, if we're messing up, if we're doing it wrong, Lord, please, oh God, search our heart and, and create in us a clean heart, oh God. Renew the right spirit within us, oh Lord. That is our prayer, and it's a sincere one. And I, I believe, God, that if we pray and mean those things, Lord, you will hear and answer our prayer. So Lord, it's our intention, God, to take your message, Lord, to the lost people of the Central Virginia area. So, Lord, you know who's out there right now who's thinking about, I want to make it to that event. Lord, I pray that you bring them here. And then, God, I pray for a supernatural anointing, Lord, to come upon, come upon every single worker, God, that is in this place. Father, no matter how young they may be in you, no matter how insecure they may feel in those things, Lord, I pray that the anointing, Lord, will rest upon them, God, that the things they do, Lord, whether they're just handing somebody a hot dog or they're sharing the gospel with them or they're offering them a ride to their car on a golf cart or, or they're guiding them to a parking space and giving them a smile and a kind word, whatever it is, God, I pray that the anointing, Lord, the anointing, God, will touch their heart. A brother just shared with me this week, he said, the reason that I am here, I've been in churches before, but the reason that I am here is because I found real Christians here. Lord, make us 
real Christians. And God, may it be seen and experienced by those who come here, Lord. God, we're not trying to just build our church big, Lord. But Father, if there's one lost person in this Central Virginia area that needs to know you, God, then we want to do our part to tell them about you. And therefore, our church is not big enough yet, God. It, it needs one more and then another and then another and another, Lord. So, Father, we pray for you to direct us and guide us in this effort. Lord, it's a big deal. We're putting a lot of time and prayer into it, Lord. And so I pray for a great, great harvest, Father, in Jesus' name. Now, before I close, um, I love it when we have conversations. People open up and share things with me. They may come across as criticism. Criticism doesn't affect me. Brother, I know my shortcomings. So there's nothing you're going to criticize me for and tell me I'm coming up short on that that I don't already know. And I'm working on it or I've tried to fix it. So <laughs> when people open up and they get honest with me, they, they tell me about things that trouble them or things that they question. One was, why don't we see people at the altar anymore? And, and, and I appreciate what this one brother, he said, I was, I was saying that. Why don't we see people at the altar anymore? And he said, you know what God told me? said, how many times have I told you to go to the altar and pray, but you didn't go? And maybe that person or that person was waiting to see somebody else go up here. And if you had come to the altar, they would have felt liberty to come to the altar. And I, I so much appreciated his honesty and his being straightforward and truthful about that. You see, God loves that. He loves real things and authenticity. And it's all right for us to open up and be real with each other. Come on. The Bible says confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. There's no faultless people in this room. We all got our own issues. Amen? And you don't necessarily have to come to an altar to deal with those things. But church, this is a sacred place. It has been a place that was, it was dedicated and and. and committed to God. And I don't know about you, but I have found the answer to my prayers at the altar when I couldn't find it in other places. It was just something about that. And, and two, I think it's something about being at an altar and having other people come around you and pray with you. Now, in this conversation, I appreciated what one brother said. Now, if the pastor has preached this morning on addiction to pornography, you may not want to get him to go to the altar. <laughs> but I haven't preached about any of that. What I'm saying to you is if you're going through something, you don't have to bear that burden alone. It may have nothing to do with anything that I've preached. You may be coming here and you're having trouble even concentrating on what I'm saying because there is something just upside down in your life. And you just need Jesus to help you. Because I've known people, they come to church and all they wanted was prayer. They just couldn't wait to get to the altar or get to somebody to pray for me. We've had people come in and say, I just, I just need somebody to pray for me now. We've had people come to food bank said, I didn't come for groceries because we pray at food bank. We pray for the people that come in. So I didn't come for food. I came so you could pray for me. And so there's times that you just, you, you, you're 
world's upside down. If you just bring it to the Lord and let other people, we, we don't even need to know what you're going through. I may ask, if I pray for you, sometimes I will say, is there, is there something specific that I can pray about? And, and if you don't want to divulge that to me, that's fine. Say, no, I just, I just need you to pray for me. And just say that. It'll be, I just need you to pray for me. I'm like, I'll pray for you. So what I want you to know is each and every Sunday, whether I say the altar is open, you can come. This altar is always open at the end of our service. And while we, we, we have made it a practice this year, I just the Lord told me at the beginning of the year, you come in with praise and you leave with praise. And so we've done that every service. We start out with praise and we end with praise. I, I was reading in Psalms this week that, that they, had, they got the instrument players together, the sons of Ashar, the sons of, of Korah, and, the, and they went down the list, and these were to play harps, and these were to be vocalists, and these were to be this, so that they could prophesy through worship. I had never seen that in Scripture, so that they could prophesy through worship. And so when we come in, we're worshiping God. It is a time for the Spirit of God to move among the people, even in our praise and our worship and our music. So we started that way and we end that way. So while we're praising God in the end, if any time you want to come to this altar, nobody's going to judge you. We're just going to pray for you and love you. Amen? And if you've got a problem with judging people, then maybe you need to be here. Amen? Because whatever they're going through there, but by the grace of God, go I. So Hunter, won't you take us to the throne? And if you want prayer, just please come on up. And, and if somebody comes for prayer and you feel led that you want to just come, don't, don't just grope all over them. I mean, kneel down beside them and pray. Can, let me share one more thing with you. It may be that God will do something for you that he's not going to do for the person you went to pray for. Personal testimony. I was working with a guy, and we got him and his wife, unchurched people, into church. They committed their life to Christ. They were having all kind of marital problems. I knew this. I didn't know what was going on. I just knew there was a problem. On a Wednesday night meeting, she came up for prayer. I felt led of the Lord just to go kneel down beside her, not even let her know that I'm there to pray for her and for their marriage. I had been trying for two years to kick the addiction of nicotine. I was addicted. There were times that I was smoking a cigarette with a chew of tobacco in my mouth at the same time. I tried. I could not kick it. It's one of the most addictive drugs known to man is nicotine. And I could not kick it. I went to pray for her. Little deacon about this tall, his name was Randy, and he talked like a machine gun. He come up and knelt down beside me and said, Brother Bernie, won't you let God set you free from them, them cigarettes? I said, Randy, there's nothing I want more. He said, God, I'll set you free. He'll set you free tonight. He said, lay him on the altar. I said, no, sir, I'm not going to do that. But I give you permission to do that. He almost tore my shirt pocket up. He grabbed him. He didn't lay him. He threw him. They bounced off of the back wall, grabbed me by the head, and started praying in the Spirit. And God has my witness. 1980, I got up from that altar. I have never craved nicotine from that day to this day. It's real. And I wasn't even going to pray for myself. I was going to pray for my sister. So the altar is open. 
Sometimes God doesn't do miraculous things in our life because we just don't give God the opportunity to do it. Amen? I'm not trying to initiate a move of the Spirit. I'm just trying to be real here, church. If you need prayer, and listen, if somebody comes for prayer, don't think, well, what's going on in their life? It, it may not be any. They may be praying for their children yes. or for their mom or their dad or their boss. Or, it, it, let, let's don't do that. Let's don't try to read into something. Let's just love them and pray for them. Amen. Yes. Amen. Amen. darkness we were waiting without hope and without light so from heaven you came running there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and brought to a virgin came the word from the throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt
more time. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Spirit. Three in one. God of glory and majesty. Praise forever to the King of kings. The King of Kings. Oh, hallelujah. 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 Lord, we bless you. God, we praise you. Lord, real God, we thank you so much, Lord, for our place of worship, God, a sacred and a holy place where we can come, Lord, and lift your name to give you glory, God. Father, may it be genuine that everything we do, whatever we do, we do for the glory of God. Now, Lord, I pray for those that came to the altar today, God. I thank you for what you've done in their life, Lord. I sense your presence, Lord. I sense your power, your anointing. Complete it now in Jesus, we pray. Now, Father, as we leave this place, Lord, I pray for a blessing to come upon each home, God. God, let each home be a refuge, an escape from the world, a place where the Holy Spirit is honored, a place where the Holy Spirit is welcome. God, strengthen the family, Lord. Do a mighty thing, God, a miraculous thing. Lord, husbands and wives, just love each other, Lord, to treasure each other, God, to see the value and appreciate each other, Lord. Parents and their children, siblings one with each other, Lord. God, I pray for those that are traveling their journey alone, God. They're looking for their mate, Lord. You lead them together, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord, that you've done that in the life of Meredith and Chris, Lord, getting ready to get married in a few weeks. You've heard our prayer. You've answered it. God, I pray you do the same for others, Lord. In Jesus' name. Lord, those that are traveling journey alone and they're happy with that, then God, you be their, you be their mate. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, I only way to choose. The gospel is free.